Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. All right, welcome back to the BT Focus podcast. I am Dan, joined with Victoria. Hello, hello. Hi, Victoria. We're here again. Yes, we're here. Another week and another week into October. How's your October going? It's going really well. We haven't had too much of like crazy cold weather. It's a little bit rainy. So that's very much expected in October. I'm hoping to hit up some apple orchards here soon um, and really get into the fall spirit. Oh, yeah. Candied apples are my absolute favorite. Not the best oh. for my teeth. But I love oh, yeah. Them. So candied over caramel then? Completely. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I yeah. feel like candied are a little bit sweeter for me. And sometimes with caramel, like I, if I get too much of it, my stomach just feels really bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Completely understandable. So how's your uh, second summer going? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> you know what? I'm trying to make it happen. I, I, I necessarily am trying to like force it. Uh, I pulled out all my winter clothes yesterday, hugged them all. <laughs> So I'm like looking at it and I'm like, ah, eventually I'll get to wear that jacket. <laughs> now, when you say uh, winter clothes, is that like actual winter clothes or is that like a light jacket? <laughs> it's like a light jacket. It's like a rain jacket. Okay. <laughs> I, I pulled out like all my winter clothes. Yeah. yeah. From Texas is like rain jackets and sweaters. I had to hug those up and like looking at it and I'm like, all right, Texas, it's your move. I'm ready for the cold. <laughs> uh, it probably won't come again. I, I remember I've been in Texas for like five years and I remember like the cold doesn't come until like the end of December. Uh, and then it lasts for two months and then we're back to warm, which is not at all like Michigan. It's not at all like Michigan. <laughs> The cold starts mid-September and, you know, you're getting into May and you still may need the heat on, so. <laughs> yeah, you're like, when is it going to end? <laughs> and here in Texas, like, when is it going to start? Yeah. It's very funny. I originally was from Indiana. I'm sure you guys remember from previous podcasts. So I, I kind of remember the cold. Um, uh, I think my brain has started to block it out now uh, it, just because it's it can last a while. Well... Um, today we are talking about a very interesting topic, one of my most favorite topics, and I was just talking to you about um, how this can sometimes become um, ambiguous or it, it can become difficult for technicians to understand at the beginning. And we're looking at C5, Implementing Natural Teaching or Naturalistic Teaching Procedure, so NET. And why do you think that NET is difficult when you first start as a behavior technician? I think it's so difficult because when you first start, you're doing a lot of DTT at the table to really get to know the client's programs because like we've talked about previously, you can have the same program but work with a different client and be implementing a little bit differently. So you do a lot of DTT to really get to know how to run these programs with that specific client. And then all of a sudden it's like, but we want to make this fun. So how do we make this fun? Well, we want to incorporate some NET, but like, what does that look like? Because it can be so, there can be such a large range from what NET looks like from client to client, even from day to day with a, with the same client, um, depending upon what's going on that day. So I think that's where it really gets difficult. Um, you mentioned the word ambiguous, like it just, it really, you don't have a clear cut, um, 
program of exactly what this looks like from minute to minute. Whereas when you're at the table, it's, it's very clear cut. You know exactly what comes next. Yeah, and I think you explained that perfectly. And it, it just reminds me when I was younger of putting together like a Lego set or a model airplane, right? You have the instruction guide and you know what you're doing. And then you have all those leftover um, pieces and you save them in a box. And then you come to it like after you have so much collected and you decide that you're gonna put something together on your own without any instructions. And it just, it's, it's very daunting. It's something that you're like, all right, I don't have that structure that I usually see yeah. when I'm running DTT at a table. And so you kind of maybe launch into panic mode. Um, it's difficult for you to think, and you're like, all right, where do I go from here? Um, so you explained that perfectly. And I think starting as a behavior technician as well, that's something that I found challenging. And it's something that I thought that just like DTT, NET had to be done in a specific setting, in a specific period of time with a specific set of skills. And that's not always the case. So let's start here. Let's go back all the way to the beginning so that we can clear up specifically what we're doing with natural environment training and tell you specifically that natural environment training is a term used for when skills are taught in generalization with the natural environment. And a lot of the times, because children with autism are not typically motivated to learn new things, natural environment teaching can be particularly nece necessary and also particularly difficult. And as you had noted, Victoria, we're doing this away from the table. And so because we're away from the table, the a lot of the times the client is leading the session and we're following along and contriving opportunities from there to teach them. And this can happen in any setting at any time. And a lot of the times it might look very naturalistic, but there's a lot of planning that goes ahead that you'll be doing with your supervising clinician as well. So real fast, can you think of an example of when you did NET with a client? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really, I really love that description of like how to set yourself up for success with NET. Um, and I think it's important to note as well, if you've been doing a structured programs, DTT at a table with the client, just be ready for a little bit of maybe some maladaptive behaviors to pop up if they're not as flexible with scheduling as well, because sometimes moving from one environment to the other and staying in that environment for maybe a majority of session, whereas they're used to the table, can be a little bit difficult too. And I just had that come up this week, so that's why it's top of mind. Um, so yeah, um, doing some NET, um, typically it looks like playing, right? It looks like playing with the client. Typically you wanna do something that motivates the client that's reinforcing for them. Um, so if Previously, we were trying to have the client receptively ID red during DTT. It would typically look like laying out three different color cards and saying, pick red or show me red, right? And they would hand you the red card. Now we need to incorporate this into NET. So what we would do is we would go ahead and we would um, have, say, blocks out because, say, Susie likes to play with blocks, okay? So... We're playing with blacks, we're playing with blacks, right? And I say, oh, can I have the red one? And she hands me the red black. So, oh, wow, great job. Thanks so much for handing me red. And now I can mark that in my iPad as a successful trial for a receptive ID of red. And now does Susie know any different that we were just running a trial? No, we're just playing with blacks, right? So it's just incorporating those targets into play and to particularly something the client likes to do. 
Yeah, and I like how you also mentioned, I'm going to go back to what you said about the maladaptive behavior, because it's something that I see as well. And you're in a natural environment teaching period of time. So a lot of the times you guys are just playing. And so your client may be engaging in a reinforcer that they really enjoy. Um, like, for example, the client that I'm working with right now, whenever we go on a, like a natural environment training situation, we usually might be doing like a YouTube video. And so he'll choose a YouTube video of those um, where they make the cakes and they show that whole process and like you see the colors. And so during that time, my kiddo can zone out. I mean, he's focused so much on how they're making those cakes and how it's very aesthetic. And so when I present an SD, the listening and responding is really delayed because he's so focused on that YouTube video. And so the natural environment teaching didn't really work out so well because I'm competing with a, a video. Um, so we always want to make sure that when you're in that environment, right, you're setting it up so your client is still learning. And as you had mentioned with those blocks, a lot of times if you remove some of those colored blocks and wait for your client demand for those blocks, that's also um, natural environment teaching. And I could do that with a YouTube video as well. I could remove that YouTube video, put that on yeah. pause and then have him to ask me play it. Or we could talk about specifically what colors they were once it's paused of the cakes, whatever that might be, you guys have to be malleable and kind of follow the lead from your client. Yeah. So to break this down a little bit more, I think you explained that perfectly so far. We're going to look at six steps of NET. Now, remember that I had said at the beginning of today that a lot of the times when you are writing NET, it looks like you're doing this without an, an instruction guide, right? Similar to what we see with DTT. But this is not necessarily true. Your supervising clinician specifically will select a targeted behavior skill from the client's IPO, Individualized Plan of Support. Sorry, IPOS, <laughs> let me get there. And then specifically within NET, the target behavior that is selected is more of a targeted goal than those from the uh, IPOS's general goals. Now, we have a, a differentiation between what a general and a targeted behavior goal looks like. So again, remember, your supervising clinician will be choosing which target that they want to look at or they want you to work on in NET. And a lot of the times they'll draw that from DTT. And then they'll make sure that we're creating this differentiation between a general and a targeted goal. Now, what example can you think of, Victoria, that would elucidate between a general and a targeted behavior or goal? Yes, like a general goal is going to be like the client will increase their social interaction during play, right? A targeted behavior would be the client will initiate no less than five times with peer-to-peer -peer interactions during a 20-minute playtime by speaking, touching, or handing a toy to, to the peer. So the targeted goal is going to be much more specific, and that's typically what we're going to see in our programs. You know, they have to master a certain criteria. That's going to be your goal within your iPad. And so this is going to be the goal in order for that program to be mastered. So like you said, you did, that was a wonderful job. Your clinician is going to identify really what programs you really need to work on. Um, a lot of times these are social skills, play skills with other peers um, that we're working on these NET programs. Yeah, and it can be, it could be any of your programs as well, but you're right. A lot of the times we do focus on those peer-to-peer um, -peer interactions, those social goals when we're running 
um, NET, and we get we can also teach those in DTT. Uh, we we can also look at colors since we've already used colors as an example in DTT. I just remember um, one of my clients. We would go on walks um, on on a weekly basis, and uh, I'd be walking with the client's guardian and my client, and we'd be on a sidewalk, and we would walk past a stoplight, and if that stoplight was red, my client would stop on the sidewalk. Like, all right, we can't move any farther. It, it's a red light. And then as soon as it turned green, he'd be like, all right, we're off. And then he'd keep walking. I loved that because yes, my client wasn't driving, but it showed me that my client was generalizing the colors of red and green and using those in a natural environment. So I had taught those skills in DTT, and then my client was using them not only to identify the colors, but use them appropriately in that setting, which is, all right, there's a red light, guys. We got to stop. If there's a green yeah. light, we go. So a lot of the times when you do run a DTT structured setting, you can use this in an NET environment as well. And we'll be talking about some more examples today as well. Now, what's the second step we do in our six steps of NET? So we want to make sure we have some baseline data. So obviously, before we ever implement any kind of intervention, typically we're going to take some baseline data. Your supervising clinician may require frequency logs to have a clear understanding of um, where the, the client is at at baseline and what their skill looks like there. And then this frequency data would be taken to um, the BIP or Behavior Intervention Plan tab. And then all instruction will be received from your supervising clinician. So they'll be able to use that data to then create a plan on how are we going to target increasing this behavior. Um, so, you know, if the behavior is currently at zero instances and we eventually want it to be at, say, 10 an hour, we're not going to start with the target of five, right? That may be too much. So maybe the clinician is going to write a program to where first we want to master, you know, this behavior occurring two times an hour. And then we increase that to four times an hour and then six and then eight. And then eventually it's at 10. So your supervising clinician will kind of identify where we're at and then what skill we're working on, as well as what kind of increments we're working up towards. Very well said. Yeah, we need that baseline data for sure to know where we need to start there. And I like how you had mentioned the example there of we're looking at increasing that language of requesting for items, whatever that might be. Um, and the most important part, and if you guys haven't heard us say this yet, um, you haven't listened to our previous podcast, but always follow your supervising clinician's <laughs> written plan, right? We want to make sure that you guys don't feel lost. You guys don't get to a point in time when you are running NET and you're like just sitting there and watching your client. We don't want that, right? We want you interacting with your client, working with your client and running what, what you're specifically your supervising clinician has written for you. So always make sure that you have a plan and talk to your supervising clinician. And they're in the background making sure that this is all running smoothly. And they also, again, can model it when they're in session for you. So yeah, it's really important for us to get that baseline data so we know where to start. And then once we have that baseline data, the next thing that we're going to do, which is step three in our six steps, is we're going to be isolating the context for intervention. Now, that was a lot of words. Essentially, what this means is we're looking at the client's daily schedule. So we're going to utilize that to identify a specific time or context to implement that natural or naturalistic intervention. So a lot of the times, um, we could present choices or graft choices into the natural environment for our client to choose from and then roll with it from there. For example, let's say that we have a routine with one of our clients 
And we have a new target behavior of using words to request for more, which we have used as an example earlier, but let's go into a little bit more detail. For example, let's say that the technician presents more than one snack. So let's say, I mean, I love snacks, but let's say that we have options of popcorn, chips, apples, and graham crackers. And during snack time, that is out of reach for your client. So you have all of those options available, but your client can't necessarily get to them, touch them, or most importantly, eat them. So the technician will dole out a small part of the snack when the client will request for more. By only giving a small part, what we're teaching here is that we're looking for an increase in the number of requests for those items. And the target here was more. So of those four, I would definitely choose popcorn to request for more. What about you, Victoria? Yeah, I'm probably going to go with the graham crackers, honestly. Even if there's some peanut butter with it, like for sure. <laughs> so you could even request for the peanut butter, right? Exactly. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in a natural environment, if we wanted graham crackers or peanut butter, what would we do? Yeah, we, so if in a natural environment, if they, it was available to me, I would go and get it. But if it was unavailable yeah. to me, I would need to ask somebody to request that. So what you're getting at here, I, you know, is if, if it's unavailable, if you're keeping the snacks from the client, right, then they aren't able to just go and grab them. So yeah. then they have to request for those items. So contriving opportunities or setting up your environment for success. So this really comes back to contriving those opportunities. And I ultimately, what I was getting at here is how we're currently in a pandemic. And if we don't have something and we don't want to go out for it, you know, because we don't want to drive or we're afraid because COVID-19, whatever that might be, we just request for it to be picked up by uh, a service, which <laughs> could, could get expensive, but it is something that you could do. So we're still teaching those functional communication skills for our clients because we want to make sure that they're, if they don't have it, they can request for it for more. Um, and more is a very general, general term here, but of course you would expand that language. And as you had touched on, um, our fourth step here is we're going to create an environment for success. Now, how do we create that environment? Yeah, so you, your supervising clinician, the parents, they're gonna get, you guys are gonna gather materials and resources within the individual's learning environment to gain their attention and to um, cultivate motivation so that they can engage in the identified targeted behavior. So what that may look like is kind of what you mentioned earlier is if your client enjoys watching YouTube videos on their iPad, then maybe the iPad isn't available for the first part of session when you're doing DTT. Maybe we use other reinforcers during that time. And then when it comes to NET, we know we're, they're really looking forward to using that iPad. So we incorporate that into their natural environment. And we use that to teach some of the programs that we're um, learning in NET so that they're highly motivated for an item that they really want. So it's still acting as a reinforcer because it's increasing the future frequency of a behavior, right? Um, and they're able to use something that's already there. You're not going out and buying a new iPad for them, right? You're using things in the environment that they're motivated to earn so that you can then teach these programs and it looks like playtime because they're already used to playing with these items. Yeah, and I think that really great example there, and I, I think it hit um, on the important points here of why NET is so important. And that's because the skills that we're teaching are only as good as its function for the student. Um, and so when we're, when we're looking at the iPad, and I'm always gonna like draw on my experiences, um, a lot of the times 
we are teaching those DTT goals that we have in a natural environment training, um, and we're solidifying those, but also we're doing it in a natural way. And so when right now I'm working on conversation with my clients, so back and forth, asking questions like what we did at the beginning of today, you know, how is the weather in Michigan? And then usually we get a response of, oh, good. How's the weather in Texas, right? It's cold. Is it warm? So we always have to start with somewhere. We have to we have to start a base, and usually that involves um, a preferred topic that my client likes to talk about, and then we expand that. And so what I've seen is that once we start there, we equip our client with the ability of how to know how to have that back and forth, use it in a preferred period of time, say with an iPad or with a preferred topic or activity. Um, usually what we see is that start to generalize to other areas. Um, and this is because a child can memorize lots of labels and words but if the child can't use them in everyday or common uses, then we really haven't done our job. So it's really, really important for us to um, apply NET as much as we can, but always use what we're talking about here and always follow what your supervising clinician is telling you. Now, that explains specifically about how we're going to create an environment for success. Let's move on. How are we going to provoke this target behavior? So a lot of the times your care team, specifically your supervising clinician, We'll use behavioral strategies like modeling, incidental teaching, or even time delay to elicit that target behavior. Now, in terms of um, one of these that you have used, which one have you used that you can think of? Yeah, so um, let's talk about modeling. So modeling is um, really creating an environment so that you're using an item, typically a toy that the client really likes um, in a way, and then maybe tacting different ways that the item is being used, right? So like the train goes choo-choo, right? You're tacting what the train is saying, you're tacting it. So then you want the client to also be able to follow your lead and to say, oh, the train goes choo-choo, right? And so you're able to use those things in the environment like we were just talking about and you're playing with the items the way you want to see the client play with those items and then once they play with the items the way you're playing with those items then you reinforce that response and so now they're receiving reinforcement while they're playing right and so now we can help them to generalize that response as we're playing with other things right so now they're maybe even more attentive to what you're doing because they received reinforcement when they um, copied you earlier and that time with you you're pairing with them as well in a way because you're playing right and as far as they know you're really not placing demands on them um, as we do in DTT. So sometimes you, it looks like pairing, but it's actually, I like to call NET like sneaky pairing, right? Because, <laughs> because it looks like you're pairing. It doesn't really look like you're placing demands on the client, or at least it doesn't seem that way from their perspective, but you are, and you are still teaching. You are still running programs. You still have a plan in place, but you're doing so in a way that the client doesn't necessarily catch on to that. And they're even pairing you with all those reinforcing items that you get to play with in their environment. And they're receiving reinforcement from you um, for increasing that behavior, right? That behavior is being reinforced. Um, and all they're doing in their perspective is playing with the train saying choo-choo. Exactly. I, I love that sneaky pairing. You're, you're right, too. Because it a lot of times it can look like pairing. 
um, but you're still working with the client on programs. And it, it is, it's very true. If you have sneaky pairing down, um, then yeah, you're on top of that. You're teaching natural environment training in a way that we want you to. Uh, and so I, I love that example of modeling and it's, it's great because it's something that, yeah, when you're with a client, a lot of the times your client may not know how to functionally interact with a toy or functionally interact in, in a setting or environment or with someone. And so modeling that for them and then reinforcing them once they model it after you is really important. Um, and the thing that I'm gonna focus on here is that time delay. Right now, um, I'm working with my client. Right now, my client is working on self-advocacy. Um, so it's a pretty advanced program. And so we're trying to set up uh, environments for him to um, speak up for himself. And so we have to start somewhere very simple. Um, like during natural environment training, if we're looking at a video, um, I'll control that video and I'll pause it. And then I'll just wait for him to let me know, hey, Mr. Dan, um, unpause the video, please, right? Uh, getting that man, just getting him to interact with me. And we're trying to generalize that because it's important for you to self-advocate for yourself. And so offering that time delay um, seems to help a lot. So great example for modeling. Let's move on to, we're already on our sixth step. We're going pretty fast here. Um, and we're going to utilize data collection to follow the individual's progress and make future decisions. So data, data, data is very important. Um, the data you have collected will help your supervising clinician determine if the intervention they created was successful or not so as to guide future decision making. So it's important for you to be taking data, not only during DTT, but also during NET. And during NET, one of the things that we want to look at is we're seeing that increase in whatever target we're working on. So if we're looking at requesting for items or requesting for more or requesting more in bigger sentences, then that's what we're going to say. How do I incorporate NET and what are some advantages of NET? So just to summarize what we talked about today, the best way to do NET teaching is through activities and toys that the child finds motivating. Ideally, the reinforcement should be the activity itself so that the skills gain them access to reinforcement within the activity. Always keep in mind that you're running those preference assessments. Um, you're looking at those free offerings, um, which is, in my opinion, one of my most favorite um, preference assessments to find what is motivating for your client and then incorporating those into the natural environment training. And then some of the advantages, we're looking at something that's less structured we're looking at something that's more focused on the child's values and functional play. And the skills being taught in the environment are skills that they will use in the future. And that session is very interactive. As you said earlier, it's kind of like sneaky pairing, which is my most favorite part of this podcast, because <laughs> you're right. Um, it makes sense. You are still playing with the client, but you're still teaching in those moments. What, what advantages do you see with ADT? Yeah, I think NET really helps liven up the session. I think that they're so used to such a structured format many times up until this point that not just for the client, but for yourself, it becomes a little bit more reinforcing to continue session and to continue working on those targets. Um, especially teaching during DTT, it can become very repetitive, right? It can become um, you're doing a lot of things with the client, and so sometimes it's just kind of like, all right, next target, next target, next target. Whereas with NET, it does look like more 
for play, but not just with the client, but for yourself as well. So I think as a technician, it's really reinforcing to incorporate NET into session. Um, as well as, like you said earlier, if we're teaching a program and that program can't be generalized to the natural environment or across different people, then really what's the point of teaching the program? right? Because one day we're not going to be there to deliver these ABA services, right? And so we need to make sure these skills move on with the client even when we're not there. So they need to be able to generalize these skills amongst people and environments and especially to their natural environment um, when they are learning these things. So it's very important that we keep that in the back of our minds that yeah, we do get to incorporate these fun things into session and we get to do a lot of NET, but the end goal is always for the client to take these with them and be able to do more with them after we're gone. Beautifully said. And I think you summed that up perfectly. Completely agree with you. So let's move on to our NET test questions. Now, I think I went first last time. All right. So Would you like to go first this time? Sure. Okay. All right. So true or false? Naturalistic teaching only applies to individuals that require high support. This one is false. We're going to use naturalistic teaching for any individual that we're working with, not just high support or low support or whatever that might be. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. All right. Your turn. Baseline data is important because I'm going to give you five options. I want to choose, I want you to choose all the ones that are correct. All right. So baseline data is important because it assesses if an intervention is needed. It provides a clear understanding of the individual skill for the target behavior. It allows for the individual to master targets faster. It assesses if an intervention is not needed. And last, it creates an environment that promotes learning. All right. So I'm going to say A is correct. It assesses if an intervention is needed, right? Because if they've mastered it we during baseline, then it's going to show us we don't need to work on it. I'm going to say B is also correct. It provides a clear understanding of the individual skill for the target behavior. So how advanced are they with the skill? How much do we need to work on this? Um, where can we start with that target? Do we start at a two if we're at currently at a zero, or do we get to start at an eight if we're currently at a zero and we need to get to a 10, right? So what does that look like? And then I'm going to say D is correct. It assesses if an intervention is not needed. Okay, so same thing. If, you know, it's not needed, then um, it would be mastered in baseline. Um, it does not allow for the individual to master targets faster. It can still be the same amount of time for that client to master the target. And then it doesn't necessarily promote an environment for learning because during baseline, we're not contriving opportunities or um, really doing anything to the environment at that time. We just want to see where the client's at, um, where they're at currently. So we're not going to do anything, any kind of intervention when we're doing baseline. That is correct. Nice job. Was a All longer right. answer. <laughs> Thank you. So now it's your turn, Dan. You're going to identify a natural teaching target. So A, the client will increase man's during DTT. B, the client will decrease maladaptive behaviors across environments. C, the client will increase social interaction by speaking, handing an item, or touching no less than three items with siblings during a 20-minute parallel play. Or D, the technician will increase stimulus control during DTT. So I'm going to go with C here. That's, That's because correct. 
The client will increase social interaction by speaking, handing an item, or touching no less than three items with siblings during a 20-minute parallel play. I can immediately eliminate A and D since those those are both happening during DTT. And I'm in an NET, right? Yeah. And then I can remove B. The client will decrease maladaptive behavior across environments because that's the behavior intervention plan. You got it. Right on the money. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Of course, as always, it is a pleasure. Yes, Dan, thank you so much. We were able to do this again. And um, can you just send over a little bit of that cold weather? You know, if you can send me some of the warmth, we can trade. (laughs) All right. It's a mutual thing. (laughs) Well, thank you for today. Thanks so much, Dan. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the BT Focus podcast. As we learn more about the stories and the science behind applied behavior analysis. 